going. And we've got some very uh, prolific and interesting guests on recently. Uh, this, if you guys watch that show, if you don't, you should definitely uh, get on YouTube and watch it. Very interesting. Um, so I got into Monero about the uh, middle of 2000, early 2017. And what I liked about it was, and you'll hear me say this many, many times if you watch the YouTube videos, my other interviews, and I'll say this over and over again, it's very simple. It's very naive, but I think it works. Um, you get privacy all the time on Monero. You hide the sender, you hide the receiver, it hides the uh, amount sent, and you get it all the time on exchanges, on your desktop, on web wallets, on mobile wallets, and it's not optional. All the privacy, all the time. And I've been pushing that as a tagline for Monero, but nobody's uh, catching it. <laughs> nobody's uh, using it except me. Um, so when I first got into it, and I wanted to learn more about it, started you know, going online, kind of, I kept coming across these papers and PowerPoint presentations by this guy named Samsung Galaxy Player. <laughs> and I thought, wow, what a terrible name. <laughs> so I did a little more research and uh, found out this guy named Justin Harper. And so, I mean, I'm, I'm still very much a new in Monero, still learning a lot. Every day is a learning experience. But I, I would say a big chunk of the knowledge that I do have so far is based off of Justin's uh, uh, papers he's written and uh, and just me bugging him on uh, on Reddit or, or Telegram, you know, sending him questions out of the blue. Hey, what does this mean? What does that mean? And you know, he's very kind to respond. Um, so Justin is is very involved in Monero because you guys know he's head of the uh, community work group. He runs two online shows, uh, Monero uh, Coffee Chat and uh, Breaking Monero, which just started recently. Which is Seventh episode? Yep. Seventh episode with uh, Saran. Yes. The Monero Research Lab. Um, he's a student at the University of Minnesota. And uh, but I'll let him finish anyway. So uh, before I let uh, Justin speak, uh, usually at these meetups, I'll stand up here and I'll connect my phone and I'll flip through the Cake Wallet screens and show you guys all the new features, including Cake Wallet. And I think I've done enough of that, and it's quite boring just looking at iPhone screens over and over again. So I'm not going to do that, but I'll just tell you a couple of new features that we do have coming up in Cake Wallet. Um, address book, we're adding address book, and the uh, people have been asking for that for a long time. They want to be able to save addresses, uh, you know, the contact names of their addresses, not only for Monero, but for Bitcoin, Ethereum, and different currencies, you can save addresses. And the uh, second pretty cool feature is um, iCloud Backup. When I said watch it, I didn't mean like it. <laughs> um, so iCloud Backup. So you know, if you uh, lose your phone or get a new phone or you delete your app, you don't have to uh, sync the whole blockchain again or even from Blockheading if you save to the iCloud or anywhere you can save to Google Drive or Dropbox or Telegram account or wherever. If you save that file, you can just uh, restore from it, and uh, it, it happens like that rather than um, trying to uh, restore this from the blockchain. So that's all, that's all I'm going to say about Cake Wallet. Um, Doug, did you want to say anything about the uh, Monero part? 
no, I mean, it'd be great if you guys tune in, like, subscribe. Um, we, we try to have um, community members on the show that we think are uh, making a difference in Monero land. We also talk about Bitcoin as well, but primarily it's, it's all Monero. And uh, I used to be a Bitcoin maximalist and I slowly moved over to Monero. digital cash maximalist. So uh, I'm a believer in that one of these things will eventually be digital cash. And right now I think Monero's got the best shot at doing that. So the show is kind of a pursuit uh, along those lines of trying to figure out if Monero is the best. And so we're con constantly questioning that and going, you know, trying to uh, figure out if that's the case. So yeah, tune in, Monero. Things. Uh, I don't know if you guys came to the Monero party last year, um, which is by Monero Talking Football at the uh, Consensus Week. Uh, so we're going to do that again this year. It's going to be in May. Uh, last year we took a space of 100 people and over 250 people RSVP. And we had to return their money to return Monero. Just pay by Monero only and we had to actually refund people. It's crazy. Uh, so this year we're going to take a double the size, triple the size. Um, one quick thing, this is something we do at, uh, at, at these meetups, is we usually just go around and introduce ourselves. No pressure, you don't have to, if you just want to stay anonymous, and use a fake name, want to give a name, or say skip, if you don't have to do it, it's fine. Um, so, actually, William, he's actually That's a member of Yeah, I work with Vic, I do not code, I just do handling emails, customer support, type of stuff. Pretty simple. Um, real name is William. You can find me on Telegram at death.com or on Twitter at death.com. Death.com. Death. <laughs> <laughs> it's like death. The only zero is dot. D zero T C O N. Otherwise, it's all letters. That's it. It's not intimidating for support. Hi, I'm Saray. I work for Zcash. Um, go Navy. <laughs> Every time I call up the Monero community. But uh, I really like the Monero community. I work for Zcash for almost two years now for the business side of things. Um, yeah, it's more centralized community paired with Monero, and we want to be an internet cash. So I wanted to know why you think Monero has a better opportunity of being internet cash. I know our privacy is optional, um, but we're trying to deprecate the key address. Uh, yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, I mean, maybe Justin could go into it as well, but I think I think you hit the nail on the head with uh, your introduction in that you guys are are more corporate, so there there's that. Um, well, I did corporate. Well, there is no Monero Corporation. There is a, a there is one for Zcash. Uh, Monero is kind of uh, is a true open source project that has just kind of grown organically on its yeah. own, similar to Bitcoin. Yeah, that's one um, And, you know, the, the, obviously the opt-in privacy we see as being a big problem because mm -hmm. it's fault. Uh, so I know Zcash is, you know, working on these things and, you know, Bitcoin is supposedly working on these things as well. Mm -hmm. uh, but Monero currently has already achieved these things. And so Monero, it is a constant cat and mouse battle. Uh, privacy, you know, you're, you're never 100% private, but you're currently the best in the game and then just continuing to fight that battle. Uh, and then there's, I think there's other points that could be made in the, the Zcash versus
JT Brassi, um, I'm a Monero developer and a number of Monero related uh, projects. I'm Albert, I'm just a Monero subreddit lurker. <laughs> <laughs> What's your Reddit name? <laughs> okay, uh, so before I just start, any questions for me or Doug or Big Wallet or anybody? Well, not really. Well, now, proper word of Litecoin. Jeez, what? 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 
Right now, 
right? So um, ultimately, it's, it's important to not just talk about privacy in a sort of extreme of either end, because we're never really going to get to either extreme, but sort of bring us back to um, ultimately what the use cases are, what your threat model is. This is, what do you need privacy for? Are you simply purchasing a, a birthday gift for your friend and you don't want them to know before they receive it? You probably don't need to go through a really complex sort of privacy model to make that happen. Like, uh, however, if you live in a country where they have active surveillance and you want to try and avoid that, or if you want to avoid passive surveillance with, with advertising agencies or other large companies, then you probably need a, a more strict threat model. It's similar to security, where you don't have perfect security. You can't adopt one level of privacy or security solution and expect it to work for 30 years. You need to adapt, you need to iterate on it and keep adjusting it from there. So when you think of privacy, don't think of it as some extreme. Think of it as something that you need to apply to your specific use case. And then we can have a much more realistic conversation about how these different projects provide privacy for you. And Monero is one of those projects that aims to provide privacy for your financial transactions. One thing a lot of people, hopefully in this room, would understand, but outside of this room don't understand, is that with Bitcoin, it's not a high degree of privacy. It, every time you spend funds, you need to worry about leaking how much you spend, where the source of funds came from, where you're sending funds to. So I like to say Bitcoin is private if you never use it. <laughs> if you just have money that appears out of thin air and never spend it, it's private because, I mean, ideally no one would know you had it, but the second you start spending it, you make transparent connections to yourself. And again, these are connections like if I take out a $5 bill and skip it to someone and sure that person that I give it to knows I gave it to them. I let the entire world know for the history of time that this information is without fault. So it's a totally different ballgame here. And there are some companies that try to parse this data in order to learn insights from it, mostly to help track down criminals and other information, but it also has some limiting effects on, on, on people's everyday transactions because you're making all this information public and a lot of people don't understand that. So why is privacy really important? And it's not just important for the sake of I want privacy, that's totally a legitimate reason for why you would want it, um, because you want to have it, of course, but there's a lot of practical reasons too. So if we're hiding the sources of funds and other sort of information, you might want to hide your employer involved. Maybe you don't want to reveal that you work for a specific company or that you don't want to reveal who all of your friends are based off how you send funds back and forth or that you went to your, your friend's super secret invitation-only party and reimbursed them for it and, and your other friend didn't go, right? Weird sort of situations like that that would be revealed to these sort of individuals. Um, if you're a business, you don't necessarily want to reveal all of your upstream business connections because it's hard to run a business if everyone knows who all of your suppliers are because they can just pull the phone and say, hey, I know you're doing business with my competitor, well, I'll read a little bit more into that, I'll, I'll pay 5% more, whatever it would take. And then also just the fungibility components. A lot of people think, uh, I'll, I'll speak actually a little more on fungibility later, I think that's um, And then regarding to your expenses, hiding what your expenses are, you don't necessarily want people to know all your political donations or all of the, um, or if you go to a, a specialist doctor, for instance, and need to make a medical payment, you're not very private if you need to go to, like, uh, if you're expecting to go to a, a specialist and now everyone in your family might know. <laughs> That's not necessarily something you want them to know at that moment. Um, or even just, 
on a, on a much smaller level, just everyday purchasing habits. Uh, advertisers and other individuals can learn a lot of information about you by just tracing your everyday purchasing habits. And then the visibility and the balances basically exacerbates these other issues. So they not only know what you're doing, but also the amount and magnitude of which you're doing them. So then they'll suddenly know your wallet balance, you're at a coffee shop, you make a payment, well now they know you're do you want to reveal your, your wallet balance every time you do that? It, it's not very practical. Um, and it might lead to targeted crime based off people who have like a, a large source of funds, or they might be the target of, of malware and robbery. So that's important <coughs> to consider. Um, and they also know like how much you pay your employees with cryptocurrency and how much you charge your suppliers and customers, which really, really breaks down your business competitive advantage if, if that information is public. So, even if you don't care about privacy for the sake of really your own personal right to privacy, there's a lot of reasons why you would want it for some practical reason. If you're starting a business, if, if you work on an existing project, if you're building a blockchain implementation where you have to deal with a lot of suppliers and you don't want your suppliers to get additional power over you, it's important to keep privacy in mind for any of these implementations. So, um, you can try and add privacy to a transparent system as an opt-in layer, but the effectiveness is, is very murky, to put lightly. So let's say you have this, this big black box of all the transactions, all the information that's being sent in the blockchain, and then you just have this little square orange tumbler mixer, ZK snark. It can be any sort of technology that provides privacy. And we can even assume that like this system is perfectly private. Let's say that when you're in that system, it's totally good. So if you send a transaction within the system, we can say, yeah, if, if the system is, is sensible, right, it maybe for certain mixers it might not make sense, but if you're using a state-of-the-art ZKSNARC or other technology, if you're interacting entirely within the system, we can say, yeah, for the, for the sake of this presentation at least, you're pretty good. But if you start interacting between this layer and the transparent layer, well, now you have a million questions. Well, where did you get the funds from? Where are you sending them to? Can you trace the amounts? It gets really, really chaotic very quickly. And so it's, that's why I say your privacy is probably pretty limited, or at the minimum, it's complicated. You can't give a really simple answer because it's really hard to tell based off use cases. And of course, if you send a transaction entirely within the transparent system, it is by definition transparent. So you shouldn't expect much privacy there. So when people talk about the sort of privacy debate, you need to look further than just saying, oh, well, we have this excellent solution we can pull on. Okay, well, how does that interact with your existing system? And it's often the case that it does not interact very well. And there's a lot of leaked data in that process. Um, but um, privacy isn't always everything. Sometimes it's good to be optionally transparent. Uh, this is one of my new slides for you that, that are already experts. Um, so suppose that you have a, a private transaction, but you want to reveal to some individuals information about it for any number of purposes. Maybe you're a charity, maybe you need a proof of payment, who knows. Um, but it's, uh, a lot of cryptocurrencies have it such that it's either fully private or it's fully public. So now everyone in the world gets to see it. And that doesn't really make sense. So with cryptocurrencies like Monero and Zcash, we have a system where you can optionally reveal some information to specific people. Monero, I showed it here with the view key. The amount here, can be visible with the view key under certain circumstances. I can talk about those after. But in most cases, it isn't. 
but you can use the view key plus a key image in order to reveal the amount of people. But to the rest of the public, they still don't get to see anything. So we acknowledge that privacy is very important for many people, but also transparency as an option is important to people too, but people don't need to be forced to suddenly reveal all information to all people. They just need to reveal information to those that need it. And I think that, that's really important. Um, Monero does this again with the few key and also the key images for revealing even more information. Um, and one final note I want to make too in this whole basic privacy section, but zero knowledge does not equal perfect. Um, like ring signatures, for example, are an example of a zero knowledge proof and they aren't perfect. Zcash uh, has zero knowledge proofs, but they're not widely implemented and they still have a turnstile migration process, which isn't perfect. So zero knowledge is a, is a subset of technologies and you might hear the phrase zero knowledge. Um, it's used to imply that you can prove something without revealing information used to prove that information. So if I'm uh, going to a bar, I need to prove that I'm 21 so I can drink, but I don't, in this case, would not have to show my license, right? Or I wouldn't have to reveal where my residential address is to prove I'm 21, as an example. Um, but there's certainly limitations to zero knowledge, and even if the this implementation works really well, there's still a ton of other considerations. Privacy is not something you just one stamp and done, it's, it's an ever-expanding web of considerations. Um, so I'm gonna do a little bit of basic privacy solutions to consider. I know this is a Monero meetup, but I wanted to give a little bit of a high-level overview first. So there's Monero, which I'll be talking about this uh, in much more detail later. Uh, RingSync, they use technologies like RingSync signatures, RingCT, and stealth addresses. Um, you also have Zcash, which uses optional ZK start, uh, starts, where you can send funds um, within a fully shielded pool or in and out of the shielded pool um, with, with a ZK starts. Um, we can talk about that later if you want. Um, on a completely different note, you have a, a project called Enigma, which is, focuses more on file storage. So they use a blockchain to store hashes that is complemented with an additional database. Uh, I'm not going to touch on this much more, but if you're focused on a storage sort of solution rather than a transaction-focused solution, this might make sense for some business applications. And then in the coming soon world, you have ZK Starks, which are similar to Snarks, but ideally they have better trust requirements. They're just not really at the point of efficiency yet, but there are companies like Starkware that are already trying to monetize these sort of models and, and build on them. So, this is in a small snapshot sort of what your privacy ecosystem sort of looks like now within all blockchain type projects. There's of course a million other people doing different things, but even if you just understand these, these four basic things, I think you're good in the, now and in the next five years, really. Um, I, I started adding this slide because I think it's good to sort of help you map things out. So uh, I have this privacy matrix where on one side you have what is the accessibility and usability of using whatever best sort of privacy system is in the system? And then what's your reasonable theoretical maximum privacy you can get out of it? So um, you can see like Bitcoin and Dash over there have, like they don't really have a strong privacy solution, so as we're, but they're pretty easy to use, so I kind of put them pretty high up there. And then Zcash, it's still much harder to use the privacy solution of Monero, but if everybody theoretically used the zero knowledge proof, if every transaction was a fully shielded transaction, then we, this would be a totally different discussion, and I think that can be sort of seen there. Um, in Monero, the ring signatures certainly are limited, and we can talk about that later, but it still provides a much higher like 
you can see relatively there a significantly higher degree of privacy, and it's far easier for people to use, so it might still have a better impact. And then on the news recently, since Grin launched, I have to throw that in there. Um, so it has the ability to perhaps be a little bit more accessible and usable than Monero is in its current form, but it's basically Monero without the ring signatures, so it certainly falls uh, short on uh, transaction graph analysis sort of protections. Um, so I want to give a few thoughts on some of these comparison charts. Often you will be searching about new technologies and you'll stumble across one of these, or they'll throw out some existing coins and then they'll be like, oh, but we're but we have master nodes with a 200% ROI, right? You, you have people that sort of put all these charts in, and, and they don't really make much sense, but it's important to sort of throw in there. Um, so in, in terms of the context of evaluating this discussion, so be careful when you're looking at these, perhaps to sort of exaggerate it a little bit more, right? You have like Zcash versus Monero, and like the, like, um, Build plus Bitcoin Coinbase like Check and X or like the fun fun developers like this is obviously an exaggeration uh, just to emphasize the point and then here you have like a chart that makes literally no sense where it's like like what even is the time warp attack that they sort of discuss or or like what does minimal fees even mean who determines what a minimal fee is so long story short comparison charts are usually very misleading and you shouldn't really worry about them. So, with that in mind, <laughs> okay. So, in this case, I'm trying to focus on what the like sort of main, um, ultimately, what the bottom line is. I'm not going to say like, oh well, we have, we have uh, the super wraith protocol enabled, so it's better, right? So, instead, let's let's focus on how well these solutions sort of protect certain things. So, for source of funds, right, Monero has what I would call decent protection, where if you're a normal person that's, that's transacting, ring signatures are pretty good, but they certainly fall short of solutions that use a, a larger anonymity set per transaction. So that's something that I put under, like if you're a normal person transacting, you don't need to worry about it. If you have a really strict use case, you need to think about it. Um, and like Zcash, if you're using, uh, I sort of broke, shared Bitcoin and Zcash. So this is Bitcoin and Zcash transparent. This is Zcash fully uh, shielded. So with Zcash, you know, they don't protect any of this info here, but it protects this info really well for the source, receiver, and amount if it's fully shielded. Um, and then PIVX thrown on there because they're sort of trying, they're at least trying. Um, but uh, if you shield the funds, it generally protects the source. Um, regarding, I should have gone in a different order with these, I apologize. Um, so, I'm not going to start over. So, Monero provides decent protection for the source of funds. It uh, protects the receiver on the amount very well, uh, which self addresses. Um, the transaction size is, is not very small, but it's not terribly large. Uh, the verification time is in the larger milliseconds range than others, so it's, it's a concern. And the signing time is very short. Uh, with the transparent, of course, you don't hide any of this. The transaction size though is really small and it's very fast to verify. These are very efficient because they don't have any other information to hide there. Uh, with Zcash, fully shielded, it protects a lot of this information really well. The transaction size is, is still quite small. It's very fast to verify. And they definitely brought down their signing time, but it's still orders of magnitude larger than most. Yes? Is that 2.3 seconds for mobile wallets as well? That is with a test bed server, so it's not with a mobile wallet. Um, it might be longer in a mobile wallet. Um, 
It might be within the realm of reason at this point after sapling, where you can do it on mobile. Uh, honestly, the biggest the biggest advantage for getting involved on mobile, I mean, sure, the computation time is important, but you no longer need to run full Zcash, full node to sign these. You used to, and that's the biggest reason that Zcash is more viable on, on mobile now. You no longer need the full node. But, the, but there are no mobile wallets. There are currently no mobile wallets in Zcash that support full shield. So this is, again, it's not a test bench type server. It, it's not real life use, I'm sure. People are on desktop receiving, on most desktops, seeing similar numbers, but um, as an implied, we test them all. Um, and then Pivx, uh, one thing I did not actually know is that they did not hide the receiver because they don't actually use stealth addresses by default. And I, I sort of overlooked that. So it's some weird point to come across. Um, and the amount is denominated. This is what Monero <laughs> used to do with the three signatures, and that's terrible um, because it's, 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 first of all, it's restrictive because you can only send, like, imagine send, giving someone $5 but never being able to get change in small increments. And then also, if you're sending like 100, 10, and 5, like you still have a good idea of how much people are spending. So even if it's denominated, it doesn't do a really good job hiding the amount. Um, and the transactions are very large. I have no idea what the verification time is, so I can't comment. And the signing time is, is quite large, too. So these are some of your existing projects that at least have done some privacy-related things. And I think Monero and Zcash are certainly the leading pri uh, privacy coins in this regard for transactions. So time to talk about the implementations of Monero. So Monero attempts to hide information for the whole breadth of the transaction that you're going to send. The sender is hidden with ring signatures. The amount is hidden with ring confidential transactions, which is like confidential transactions with Bitcoin. It's a completely misleading name. It should be called confidential amounts, not confidential transactions. Um, Monero is working to hide the transaction broadcast with a, a variety of things I'll talk about later with an I2P Tor Dandelion sort of setup. And then the recipient is hidden with stealth addresses. So I'll do a brief overview on how this works. So first with ring signatures and ring CT. I would like you to think of the entire US dollar money supply, all in this room, you know, all of it in one spot. It's denominated in different dollar bills and different coins. Uh, Monero is denominated in uh, money, uh, denominated in sorted outputs. So these outputs are like dollar bills, like coins. Um, so you might have one output that contains 10 Monero, one output that contains 2.36 whatever long trailing number of Monero. And they can only be spent once. They're one-time use. So once you spend this money, you need to create new outputs to allocate where the money gets returned to. So the way ring signatures work, suppose I have this highlighted red output. It's, in my, it's as if I had changed my wallet. I have the right to spend it. What I do is I look at the blockchain, and I pick other outputs that other people presumably have. And I don't need their permission to do this. This is totally non-interactive. I can do this offline with a copy of the blockchain. And what I do is I make it appear as if all of these, all of these outputs could be spent in the transaction. So again, you have yours, you grab all of these, and all of these are possible spends. I, there's actually 11 of these, but I don't have room anymore to, to include all of Monero's ring size on here. <laughs> I've updated it for seven, but there's no more room. Um, so uh, in this case, apparently I didn't update. My apologies. So um, it used to be seven, now it's 11. And um, Monero proves that you can't spend other people's money, because what would uh, you need some check to make sure that you're actually spending money that you have. 
So they use this key image, which is like a hash. It's a reference to the actual output that you do have, and that confirms that you're not just using other people's money in the blockchain with, that you don't have the actual right to spend. So the ring signature basically comes together and makes it so that multiple sources of funds are possible spends and hide among all these. And then the ring CT component comes in and then it hides the amount that's being spent. So instead of revealing how much is spent in this output, you do a cryptographic commitment to say, I'm going to pay um, a, cer a certain amount, but I'm going to hide what that amount is. So in, in a very simplified form of this Peterson commitment, ring CT is really complicated, but ultimately it's sort of like you have a real number, so if I'm sending 10 million to someone, that's the real number, and I hide it by adding this random number to it that only I know, and then I publish the sum of those to the network. So if I'm, again, sending 10, I do a random number generator, find 100, 110, I give that number to the network, and um, I use that random number for the set of inputs and outputs to make sure that they both add up to equal the same amount. So that way, we can use uh, ring CT to make sure that people are not generating money out of thin air in the process as, as long as math holds up there. Um, so ultimately, all this comes together. There's a ring CT ring signature that signs the difference between these commitments, and you result in an unknown amount of Monero going to, to someone. And you have this commitment public key, which is used for ring CT to prove you did things correctly, but I won't really focus on that because it's not a cryptographic presentation. Um, any questions on ring signatures and ring CT? I've been talking a lot here. Okay, so to simplify it, it sort of works like this, right? Where you have, with Bitcoin, you have one person that clearly signs a sheet of paper, basically signs a check to authorize it. With Monero, you have a group of people that all appear to be possible signers. You don't know which one of them is reaching under the table to sign that transaction. But you know one person is, and you can verify that it's still authentic. And as you can see how this person is unmasked and these people are masked, you don't know what the, you don't know the wallet address or anything of the person who signs this to because you already have other protections. Um, one thing that, that's no, because this is sort of misleading with the picture, is that it is not interactive. You don't need to actually get people in a room and sign something. You just, you, it's all not interactive. But that's a simple way to think about it. So I think it's good, cool too to look at the history of how outputs are used on Bitcoin and Monero to get a better idea. So you have your one input that you're using, your, your, ten your, your one Bitcoin that you're spending, right? With Bitcoin, it's pretty clear, if it appears in a block, if this output appears in a block, you know that it was in a transaction from address A to address B. There's no other time that that output would ever appear in the blockchain. <laughs> um, and this is just older and newer blocks in the blockchain. Well, with Monero, Instead of it only appearing once, it would appear several times. It would appear in several transactions. And as a result, you no longer know that in this transaction the output was spent from user A to user B. You don't know that the output was spent at all. It could have truly been spent, or it could have simply been used as a decoy in someone else's transaction. And chances are, it's most likely used as the decoy in someone else's transaction. So you can't simply say, I'm going to track this output and see when it's used because you don't know when it's used. You know when it could be used, but you don't know when it actually is used. So that's a big difference between Bitcoin and Monero, and sort of helps speak to how, as someone's trying to look at the, the, the history of how outputs are used, it's hidden among a lot of other possible information. <laughs> All right, so finally, self-addresses. This hides where funds are going to, in, in the simplest sense. 
Um, so again, you start in with your, your sort of ring signature. You have your unknown amount of an arrow. You have uh, you create two stealth addresses. Instead of sending money directly to uh, an address that's, that's transparent for people to see, you essentially create a one-time safety deposit box where you, you put whatever Monero you want there, you lock it with the key that the recipient gives you, and then you just sort of leave it in a field with a ton of other outputs, a lot of other locks, just this big safety deposit box field. And the recipient just goes, checks all the boxes that are available until they, their key works and opens one, and that's how they know what's for them. So there's, there's no message that necessarily shows up that says, like, you've got mail, like, on the, the recipient's wallet, unless they're, they're specifically searching the blockchain to figure out which outputs are theirs. So in this case, I have the most common example where one of the outputs is going to the recipient, and one of the outputs is going back to the sender as change. So as an example, if I have 10 Monero, I only need to send five to someone, I can send the remaining five back to me as change. It's directed at me, but you don't actually know it's directed at me. And then one thing I think is pretty cool, since I did not know, I, I knew there was a fee, but I didn't know for the first few years, and I was kind of learning it going how it really worked out. But there's a difference that is included, in a, is taken as a fee, but it's not a separate output per transaction. It's just included in the, the one output block reward for that block. So it's just kind of wrapped in there. Any, any rounding error uh, or any fee is, is included in that one output. So, summary. To an outside observer, you see a bunch of inputs that are possible spends in the transaction. And then you have an unknown amount of Monero that's being spent. And you have these going to unknown, uh, unknown people. The insider, of course, can see that this is a real input that's being spent, and they know where these outputs are being allocated. But things get really complicated quickly for this sort of graph analysis. And we wish they would be even more complicated, but they already are still pretty complicated. Say you have your one given transaction here. Well, each of these outputs have, like, they, they were generated in other transactions. So, like, each of them came from other transactions that each had their own set of outputs, and each of these had their own set of rings, so you don't know necessarily what happened in most cases. And for the outputs you generate, these will be used in multiple transactions too. So, like, in this case, you pulled this output, well, it was also used in this transaction, and it looks pretty similar to yours. And then the outputs you generate will be used in other transactions too. So for every single one of these outputs, there's a web of other transactions where they are included. And so as a result, as people use Monero and transact Monero more frequently, you get more outputs, you get more people using these outputs in rings, and therefore it gets pretty complicated fast because there's a large number of possible spend patterns that, that could occur. So um, Monero gets to strength in numbers by having so many people interact through the, through the ring. I said So, this is a fun slide for today that I spent a lot of time working on. So, network metadata. Monero, going forward, needs some way to better hide the network metadata. So, if you're sending a transaction from your home and you, you need to some way to tell the network, hey, include this transaction in the next block, well, you're leaking information as you send that information to the network. You're leaking what your, most notably, what your IP address is. And we need some way to hide that information. So there's a few proposals, essentially, for how we can, how we can best address this problem. And um, there's ClearNet, which is sort of a current situation without Dandelion. 
and then you have a clear net width bandwidth line plus plus, and then you have four and IPP. So I'm going to walk through all these pretty like in detail. Um, if you has, has anyone never heard of Tor? Okay. So if you've never heard of IPP before, for the purpose of this presentation, think of it as a light tool. <laughs> so um, clear net how it works is you have this origin node, and you're connected to a few nodes. You send out your transaction to all the nodes you're connected to. So if you're connected to three nodes, by default you're connected to eight nodes. But you would send out the transaction to all these nodes. And then these nodes would then relay your transaction across the rest of the network until most people had it. And then it would be mined, and then everyone would have it, and so on and so forth. Uh, the problem here is that you would leak your IP address to the three nodes you're connected to. Now, these nodes don't necessarily know that you were the one that sent it. it. They don't know that they are directly next to you. They might think they're this node over here, in which case they would have received the transaction from this person, and, I mean, obviously this person did not truly send the transaction. So there's certainly some degree of uncertainty here. But if an attacker was running a ton of these nodes, they'd have a good idea. So one proposal is saying, okay, well, we can just modify how this sort of works with a protocol called Dandelion. This is used in Grin. It's used in a few other, um, other test projects. And what happens is you basically say, okay, I'm going to choose essentially two nodes that I'm going to send the information to first and then they're gonna broadcast the information to everybody. So I pick a node, I send that information only to them, and then they send the information to another node, and then they go crazy, <laughs> right? So um, the broadcast to a wide network doesn't occur until this step. And so you still leak your IP address to this node, but you only leak it to one node instead of eight. The problem, there's still some concerns about network resiliency. Suppose this one node like, didn't like you for some reason, that would complicate things. So there, there's, some, there's certainly some drawbacks to that method, but it limits the scope of how much metadata you leak. And then you have the sort of Tor method that Monero has been working on for a while and will be available to individuals in the next release. Um, so where the circles are normal nodes, I made these, these pentagons be uh, like hidden in some way. So they're either Tor nodes or IDP. And what happens is you send your transaction to these I2, uh, through, through the Tor network to these Tor nodes. They're not Monero nodes. And then once it gets to the um, once it gets to uh, the final exit node uh, on Tor, they would send information to other Monero nodes and it would propagate among other Monero nodes in the network. So what happens here is the benefit here is you send a message to the first relay node on Tor. They do not know that your message is a Monero message. It's an encrypted message. They don't know what packet of information is. For all they know, you're trying to download a torrent or something. They have, they have no idea, right? But you're trying to access Google. <laughs> um, and then they pass the message on to the next participant, who then unwraps it, sends it to where it needs to go, but they no longer know that it came from you. They just see the previous sender. They, they see the relay node rather than you. So it generally helps. It certainly helps protect what IP it comes from. And then you have the I2P type solution. And this one looks a little bit crazier. So you have this origin node. Say you want to get the messages out to these other nodes in the network. So what you do is you create an outbound tunnel within the I2P network. So you send it to I2P, um, I2P participants. So in this case, gray pentagons are, I2, are I2P nodes that are also the narrow nodes. And black pentagons are only I2P nodes that are not the narrow. 
So you would send it out, you'd send your information going out to the ITP network, and then you would send the inbound tunnel going to uh, another person running ITP, and then they would receive the transaction broadcast through this layer. So you can see, similar to how it worked before, right, I send a message that people don't know what they're actually transacting. Like, for example, this person is also a Monero node, but they don't know I'm sending a Monero packet of information, so they still need to eventually get the, the transaction broadcast through some other way. And in this way, uh, by using so many layers, you're able to hide a lot of the network metadata, so it's, it's hard to tell where it comes from. Um, and similarly, they could then re broadcast to someone else over ITP, or they can just use the clear net to send that information over. So, there's a long slide, and normally don't go into as much detail with metadata in these talks. But, this is uh, really the next big thing that Monero's been working on for the past several months. And so it's good to sort of talk about what the sort of options Monero has for implementing this network metadata. And ultimately, it's probably going to be like an I2P type system by default for most people with an option to still use Tor and Vandalite. <laughs> so there's a lot of stuff going on here. The good thing is these aren't necessarily mutually exclusive uh, or uh, for, for a network to, to use blindly. You can still have a node that supports I2P and Vandalite. So that's something that we're certainly interested in doing um, because there's a variety of use cases out there. All right. Gigabytes on your computer, 
Instead, it'll be about 25 gigabytes if you want to run a Pro node. So this means it might be possible to run a Monero node on an SD card on your phone or any number of circumstances where you have lighter requirements or maybe you just don't have 65 gigs on your hard drive. You only have 20 gigs or whatever else. So it allows you to run one of these prune nodes. Now, of course, prune nodes are not a replacement for full nodes. You should run a full node if you can. But this increases the opportunity for people to run full node, uh, run um, prune nodes, which is better than them using a remote node. So it helps people with those options. Other things going forward, usability. Uh, we have a great Monero GUI team now. Uh, they've sort of assembled about in the past year. They've got a lot of work done. So they redesigned every single one of the startup interfaces. So if you ever use the GUI, it's going to look totally different for the next update. They added a merchant page for the receive function so that it has a live sales tracker. What is, yes. what is the ETA on the import model on the new one? So the new one, um, the hard fork is in April, so it'll be about a month before. So sometime March, very early April, maybe. Um, and uh, a lot of these features are already merged into master, though, so you can either download it from the build box, which is a pre-compiled binary, or you can build it yourself. And certain things like scanning QR codes on your client now here with the webcam and other things that you can optionally use. There's a lot of work that's been gone into making the GUI itself easier to use. And on a personal note, payment IDs are terrible. So, uh, William, how many of your KQL support tickets are related to people not using the payment ID? A lot. A lot. Okay. So. <laughs> Um, with Monero, we need some way to for merchants to identify who makes payments since they can't just look at the blockchain and figure it out. So there needs to be some other way to do it. In the past and currently, people use payment IDs, which is a random string that you include with the transaction in order to prove the link. So if I need to pay William money, for instance, he would give me a string and say, hey, include this in the transaction if you're sending it. I would include it, and he would then therefore know Um, and there are better ways to do that. Standalone payment ID really sucks for a variety of reasons. Integrated addresses are far better from a user experience standpoint. And ideally, we can move to sub-address only, which helps people with privacy, overall helps the network uh, have better privacy. So that's something, that's, this is a discussion that's been going on for yes. many months, and hopefully we can get services upgraded beyond that. Also, side chains. So Monero doesn't only need to work on Monero. So uh, there's many, the intent is for Monero to support any sort of sidechain project you want to build on top of it. So um, Tari, for instance, is a mid-wimble sidechain that works with Monero. Their intent is to allow you to atomic swap from Monero into Tari on their own dedicated blockchain that runs mid-wimble and you can interact with their ecosystem and then come back when, whenever you're done with it. So uh, this will allow Monero to sort of get the best real privacy and best um, usability, depending on what your use case is, where the chain itself can be, can be secure, but you don't necessarily need to wait for confirmation from the blockchain if you're just buying coffee. Like, you don't go to the, the store, <coughs> they, they swipe your credit card, but they don't make you do your signature and like wait until like the period where you can't argue the claim anymore. Right? <laughs> Um, another announcement, too, is that Monero is changing the name of its form funding system. It 
it's no longer going to be the formal funding system. It's called the community crowdfunding system. And it's been redesigned. It's fully functional. Diego showcased this a few days ago. And it allows you to um, have the same functionality as before, but it's completely tracked in GitLab. So you can see exactly who updates what, when things are moved, when payouts occur. And it, it's a far better experience than what the current form funding system is now, where there's a ton of spam and other things. So this, this is a far better solution going forward. Uh, the design has taken months. The implementation has taken even more months. But perhaps even best, this system is sub-addressable. So it's, it's completely gotten rid of payment IDs. It's totally sub-address only. So that's really awesome. Leading the way rather than just being a little bit behind. All right, and uh, I want to leave on a, a quick note that you can use a service like XMR.2 to easily make payments uh, to a Bitcoin address with most of the privacy of Monero. This is integrated in Monero and also integrated in Cake Wallet. So if you scan a Bitcoin address uh, with your Monero wallet and want to pay it, you can use this service in order to immediately, like, instantaneously convert your Monero to Bitcoin. And th this website even has like an available tour sites, you can access it over Tor, so you can hide your IP, and then you get the same level of privacy, um, making a Bitcoin payment that you would with Monero. So if you need to make a sensitive sort of, of Bitcoin payment, I certainly would recommend making it, uh, using Monero to make your Bitcoin payments, <laughs> so to speak. Can I get that right? Can I get the uh, 016 file? Oh, yeah, that, that, is, uh, that is not a current exchange, unfortunately. <laughs> Um, so ultimately, to sort of end like why Monero, right? Um, so one thing, it, it's very community driven, right? Like I, I don't work for Monero. I mean, I think it's fun to talk about Monero. Vic thinks it's fun to spend money out of pocket for people to come and talk about things and buy and eat pizza and get free books, right? Um, but in, in many ways, it's a challenge because you have all these stakeholders that sort of informally come together, and it's really hard to come to agreement them different things, but in some ways that's a strength. As long as you can find a way to manage that as well as possible, and we really try there, then you can, it allows you to have a system that really isn't answerable to any individual person or organization. It, it, it's a real group of people that are truly passionate and have come together to really, make, for really the sake of providing financial privacy, because we think it's really important for people. Um, and then also because Monero is, is fungible, when you transact, you don't need to worry about receiving tainted coins. I know people often think about, oh, well, fungibility is only important if you're sending tainted money. Well, no, you don't want to receive tainted money. So um, if, if there's a discrepancy in the private money and the regular money, you still have to check to make sure you're not receiving bad regular money. So, or, or maybe you don't want to take private money. So it's best to have a system that's fungible out of the box. And then also, it really provides some of the best privacy uh, privacy plans in the space now where you can use Monero now, and without really thinking about it, you can have a high degree of financial privacy in your life. And we're at a point where it's the easiest to use it's ever been, and we hope to keep making it easier to use going forward. So, thank you for coming to the presentation. Hopefully it wasn't too boring. Uh, there's a GetMonero.org website. Uh, a large portion of the Monero community is on Reddit. Uh, there's a lot of help uh, for common issues on the Stack Exchange. And if you need to contact me for some reason, there's my email address.
Uh, make sure you pick up a copy of Mastery Monero. It covers a lot more information if you want to read more about it. We also have a pamphlet if you want like the TLDR versions, but make sure you grab both anyway. And um, uh, Vic, what do you want to do with the t-shirts? Uh, cake wallet shirts, I think there should be one for everybody. So we have uh, medium, large, and extra large, so just grab your size. Just grab one. I think there should be one for everybody. Hopefully everyone gets one. Uh, books, there's more than enough for everybody, but So 
you, you still have all the basic functionality you would expect beyond like a deep reorg over several days or something. Yeah. Uh, yeah, very good It's a lot slower, <laughs> ultimately. Um, that's such a quick answer. So it would be great if we could say everything, like, oh, we'll just make it mandatory that everyone always uses this. That's, that's not something we can use. Yeah. Um, with, uh, with, with Tor, we're at the mercy of the existing capacity. So the problem is, as we start using this capacity, we're not contributing any more towards it. Um, if you download the Tor browser bundle and start using it, you aren't also relaying information you're just leeching off existing nodes. So um, there's certainly a limitation there we're concerned about. So if we're suddenly if we suddenly add terabytes of, of bandwidth to this system, right, it, it's, it's going to be burdensome for not just us, but everyone to control. Um, with I2P, we have a little bit more flexibility to get a scale with the number of users more nicely. So uh, with I2P, you, you can't realistically use I2P to go to Google. You don't use it to go to normal ClearNet websites. You only communicate within ITP. So as a result, uh, one of the things that they've done in their design decisions is that every uh, participant in ITP also routes traffic through ITP. So every time we add more, more people participate. So it still is slow. It's in the kilobytes per second. So we're still worried about certain things like wallet sync. Um, but for transaction broadcast, which is what we're really concerned about, that will be that should be totally fine. Um, most normal block synchronization will probably still be done with clear <coughs> at least by default. Um, there should be an option to do it entirely within these commercial systems, but it will be small. Just going through the technical notes as well, too. Uh, one of the main problems is really with things uh, before cryptocurrency occurs, what's called a civil attack, meaning that people can bring what's also called a DDoS attack. You send it down channels and people can send requests. Because of the nature of blockchains, every transaction you send is called a higher code, and once you send a transaction, it's complete. So a lot of duplicates, <coughs> excuse me, a lot of duplicates that you would have if you're doing 
dealing with one of the, um, some of the middleware in these uh, interactions. If you have a new pin transaction for the blockchain, you can simply ignore the So the blockchain nodes themselves can simply ignore all the duplicates and read artifacts that are covered and ignore all of them. We're going to invalid transaction. Right, an invalid transaction would be a duplicate of a previous transaction. So you simply ignore that. So when it comes to a lot of the problems with core, you know, the middleware, you can simply ignore them. Oh, it's just, yeah, it's just we have to handle that. You, you, you can't validate that the transaction is valid in three ways. So you have the service edition send fake transactions, and then that will be dandelioned on those. That's, that's why it's probably not good to turn it on mandatory now, because if we did, then any, uh, any uh, blockchain implementing dandelion could potentially be DDoS. Yeah, so to, to be especially clear, for the network layer type things, it's very difficult the point of impossible to make something a consensus requirement. So you can set up default blocking things, you can set up different ways of people doing things, but there's nothing stopping someone from building their own wallet clients and finding their own way to get a message out to the rest of the network. They can use a satellite, they can use whatever they want to use, right? So uh, this is this is, it's important to have the discussion in regards to block config, but there's no way to like make things like the line mandatory requirement because there's no way for other nodes to validate whether or not this requirement has been met. So not yet. If you use a zero knowledge proof as well, another layer, that would be um, I anticipate it would not be worth that extra complexity. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah. And then you need to roll okay, that that would be so messy. Um, network player is weird because it's not something you see on the blockchain, but it's still something to deal with. One, I mean, it's important to note though that the network layer stuff is, is less important than the blockchain stuff because when you do the blockchain, when you store data on the blockchain, it's stored for every for everyone to see. Compare that to I let a few, I let eight nodes receive information that they don't necessarily know is from me. It's a completely different ballgame. So it's important for sure, but it's certainly a lower priority than the issues many are already. So someone has a, a cool new blockchain idea that is transparent but uses Tor. Just, just use Bitcoin. <laughs> Any last questions? Yes, sir. When do you anticipate we move away from uh, rate signatures? No ETA. <laughs> um, What's the alternative? There are the problem. The Monero Research Lab is very interested in pursuing ring signature alternatives uh, or making ring signatures significantly better. Um, for certain attacks, you need ring sizes greater than 1,000 in order to say you don't really need to care about anything. Um, and we're not there yet with the efficiency of ring signatures. Now, uh, the alternative in the meantime is basically churn. <laughs> Where users can create multiple rings where they exponentially grow the, the possibility set as they turn back. Um, but that's still not well defined. Things like ZK snarks have a trust requirement, and ZK snarks are even less efficient than ring signatures. So really the we're in a situation right now where we're still we're, we're currently using the best thing that we know still. Um, Maybe the bullet bricks themselves. Well we they are already used bullet it, it, it uses the, the printer. The thing is, yeah, bulletproof is a generic construction. Yeah, you could yeah. use it to mask address as well. There's certain ways, there are, like, um, I think it was even under the RTRS uh, ring signature scheme. This is getting into a different type of ring signature mm -hmm. construction. 
But that, uh, within that sort of realm of research, there's a different way of also doing self-addressing the system that is specifically more efficient and also a little bit more foldable privacy, depending on what your strict requirements are. But it, um, that is well out. <laughs> it's a lot of work. Uh, but it, like, bulletproofs is easier than that by comparison. Yeah. Are there any uh, plans or research into like kind of research requirements of bulletproofs? Because, for example, I, it seems like the transaction uh, set can't be different uh, at all because you're not sure if you can spend it or not. Um, I'm wondering what other kinds of resource things So, at the moment, with the pruning that has been implemented is very so among the data that's removed, it does it very lightly. It can get rid of, theoretically, perhaps even like double the information. So there's a lot more information that could be removed, but we need to test to make sure that it's reliably removed. Um, there's, I mean, we're always looking for more efficient transactions, but in regards to nodes, um, we're, 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 we're mostly convinced that at this point, Monero is in a good enough state that it can scale with advancing hardware. Um, where I know Arctic Mind, who's a Monero 14 member, is, is very outspoken. This is his forte. He's really in node infrastructure and scaling. He is convinced it's a non issue. Um, and it's certainly something that we want to keep requirements light and we're continuing to find different ways to do that. But there's only so much you can do if you need an on chain transaction. And there's only so much you can do for before the network becomes unstable. So people will probably look to second layer solutions as those are developed. So doing our best to scale with the information we can, but um, it's hard to say what the real limits are. We're kind of just guessing. But they certainly test it like. Yeah. Well, what if someone finds a way to like inflate like the monitor line? Would that be so it depends. <laughs> so that's an unfortunate answer. So uh, when you're using Monero, you're assuming that the cryptographic assumptions work. So there's no known way that we know or something can exploit the network, but that's not a good security, right? So um, the way, like if there was an issue with the range proof, or if there was an issue with the key image, and there was a previous issue with some of these key images when it brings CT ball out. There's the potential for people to spend money that they, they can't. There's the potential for, weeks, for people to say 2 plus 5 equals 100, right? There, there's ways for people, if, if you're able to break down those assumptions, then there's a possibility for you to potentially create supply that is hidden in the moment. The good news is that if there was a sort of issue that we find, we can test to see if it was exploited. So it's not great news, but it, it's. It was a sort of situation where Monero had an issue with its key image in the past, and we were able to test to make sure it was not exploited. And we were able to see as it was exploited on other cryptocurrencies. So um, it's it's not as, it's, it's certainly not as transparent as one main reason, one, or one large argument you have against using confidential transactions with uh, with Bitcoin, why right, Zcash uses the turnstile type process. So it's a trade-off. Um, at the moment, we don't really know the way to be both perfectly blind and perfect, perfectly shielding. More likely to be discovered on Monero than 
they feel a little change because we are not throwing away information We've got, like you can see the evidence is there on the blockchain. For a set of possible parts. It, it, it depends. It depends. But, um, so both use the, the basic type of confidential transaction component. Yep. Um, it depends on how they would hide their blockchain graph. Right. Which is, who knows. <laughs> yeah. I'm not sure we're getting this completely right, but apparently I heard there was an issue with the wallet 12 version that came out when you sent an amount for an exchange like about 20 Moneros that would be 40 Moneros from arriving that was out there for a little while and was only, it was talked about executable they brought it up and it was just talked about it on a I was wondering how can you get something? But that wasn't the coin's fault, that was the exchange fault. The exchange is quite important. How can something like this get out? Yeah, so to give a little bit of background, it was not an issue with Monero's protocol, but it was an issue with Monero's wallet RPC So what happened was people were able to send a transaction with additional information, and the RPC client would interpret it in a way where it received deposits and it didn't. So, um, that there, there's some documentation on how that was potentially used. We can see transactions that included this extra information. Mm -hmm. We don't know the magnitude of these transactions because we can't see the amount. Um, some exchanges like Morph Token have been a little bit more transparent about how they were impacted, and so you can go based off that. But for the most part, we don't know who was impacted and what magnitude it was. So, so they were valid transactions. Yeah, I mean the transaction was valid. It was interpreted. So what happened was uh, there needed to be a patch for how the RPC clients interpreted information, and then once that was done, uh, there's no further issue going forward. If, if a user attempts to do the same attack, the client will just say, no, nah, right? Um, so it, it was certainly unfortunate that that was not seen. But it was patched pretty quickly, It was patched, I mean, not soon enough because it was, it was exploited, but, um, with some exchanges, but it was uh, it was patched shortly after it was discovered. The portability of the exchanges themselves knew how much the transactions were supposed to be for, and that was how much they actually were. So they had accountability for how much it was for their account. Right. So they knew. So like if it said that you made you received 100 Monero and you may actually received 50, then you can use that information for whatever you use. There's, there's no magical vacuum mark creating that. The blockchain didn't add data, it was reported incorrectly in their account. Is it interpreted? Like, the reason I like to defer it to the exchanges rather than the implementation is that the exchanges could have done an extra check. Um, that they, they could avoid the problem. They were deferring the like, check to the software, which they probably shouldn't have done. They should have done the check themselves on their own. Yeah, I mean, yeah. ideally, from practical purposes, unfortunately, yeah. a lot of people probably do that. Exchanges probably aren't going to allocate those resources to be able to trust the. They do now. <laughs> I think I think in the best case scenario, what you had likely at the time was they have maybe like a daily audit to make sure things worked or something similar to be like, so this is what we receive. They like they manually calculate sort of what they receive, but it wouldn't. It's unlikely they would have had a real time second reporting to that. Maybe hopefully. Yeah. Last time. I just I'm aware of the looking 
So uh, Loki has reached the local Loki network has reached out to us in regards to some of the network stack the implementations, and their stuff isn't production yet. So it's something that we're looking at. Um, there's nothing that would prevent someone from using it if they wanted to um, when they were sending transactions to our network. It's something that can be open to once it starts being used and, and more rigorously tested. But um, at the moment, Java, uh, sorry, not Java, uh, I2P. I don't know. I don't know much about Loki's project. The only thing I started to become familiar with is Loki network, um, specifically the network stack, and I still haven't looked very specifically into it. All right. All right. Um, thank you. Um, good uh, spirited uh, questions and debate. I love it. But unfortunately, uh, I've only booked this place till 2 p.m. So uh, it doesn't have to end. Like I say, you don't have to go home, but you can stay here. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you, Justin. And um, thank you all for coming. Uh, sorry. <coughs> <laughs> Uh, and keep in touch, uh, look forward to all the news and uh, 